Today we're going to be exploring nourishing and transforming our autonomic systems and our autonomic responses. And to begin, I'd like to share with you something that happened with me and introduced me to the Rosicrucian order. Many years ago, I was at a group discussion in a church in St. Louis, Missouri, where I am from. And there was a woman there named Emma Buford. And Emma was about my mom's age and she was an African-American woman. And during our discussion, she made a comment which seemed very reasonable to me. And there was another woman who was in the discussion. She was also about my mom's age, a white woman. And when Emma made this contribution to our discussion, Dorothy, the other woman, cut her off and really dismissed what she had to say. And I was really taken aback by this. And I was kind of like, okay, do I say something? Do I, um, do I let Emma work this out? And it didn't take long before Dorothy uh, not only was dismissive about Emma's comment, but she then said something that was um, racially insensitive. She made a racial statement to Emma. And I felt the adrenaline just rush through my whole body. And I was ready for, for a fight. I couldn't believe that this woman had just sent this. We're at a church. It's supposed to be this um, very safe place for a discussion. And I noticed that Emma just paused. And when she responded, she responded so powerfully that the confrontation was really over. And I didn't really even fully understand what was going on before the whole thing was over. I was so busy dealing with the first rush of adrenaline and what I wanted to say that I hadn't really heard in everything, but I was ready for this fight. And Emma was absolutely unflappable. This was a quality that I really wanted to develop in myself. It was uh, definitely a room, uh, room for growth for me. And Emma was totally in control of the situation. I admired her poise and I wanted to be like Emma. Afterwards, when I asked Emma how she was able to stay so centered in such a stressful situation, she asked me if I had ever heard of the Rosicrucian order, which I had not. And later on, she gave me a copy of the Mastery of Life booklet, which introduces us to the order. And I read it from cover to cover and applied for membership immediately. Emma had what I deeply wanted, control over her autonomic responses. Now, what is the autonomic nervous system? We may be surprised to know that it shapes the way we experience our lives. And it longs for connection with another autonomic nervous system. It really wants to connect with others because our ancient ancestors who bonded with others survived more than the loners. Plus it feels good. 
because when we connect with others, it produces oxytocin, which as you may know, is called the cuddle chemical. And it's, it encourages us to feel good or it, it causes us to feel good so that we will want to bond with others. And the autonomic nervous system also protects us when it feels that we may be in danger. Most of the autonomic nervous system's functions are done unconsciously. We don't even realize that our body is picking up on signals of uh, danger or safety. And the autonomic nervous system regulates bodily functions. For example, through the sympathetic system, it regulates our heart rate and our respiration rate. And through the dorsal vagal system, connected with our vagal nerve and other systems, it controls our digestive system. So the autonomic nervous system serves to inform us, to connect us, and to protect us. But sometimes it continues to act to previous threats that may no longer exist in our current situation. For example, a threat that we experienced as a child, but now we're an adult and that situation is no longer a threat to us. We're born with our autonomic nervous system and it's shaped entirely by our, it's shaped as well by our early experiences in life and then it's reshaped throughout life. The autonomic nervous system listens inside the body, especially through the vagal nerve, the vagus nerve, uh, which we're going to focus on today. It also is scanning for threats or opportunities for connection in our environment and in our connections and relationships with other people. It's content, constantly scanning for ways to connect and ways to protect threats to our well-being. The vagus nerve that I mentioned is the largest cranial nerve. It travels from the brain down to the colon. And it goes from the brain through our throat, alongside the esophagus. It connects with the lungs and the heart, goes down into our abdomen where it connects with the digestive system. And it's the main parasympathetic nerve of the body. Now, typically there are three states of our polyvagal system, which is so influential in the autonomic nervous system. There's the ventral vagal state where we feel safe and connected. And that's when everything is harmonized. If there are stressors though, or if there are irritants, our autonomic nervous system is looking and scanning to see if we need to change states. And if it becomes too much for the ventral vagal system, then it stops functioning and hands things over to the sympathetic system, which most of us know as fight or flight. So at that point, we are no longer connecting. We are protecting, we're trying to survive. And there is a flood of energy that makes it feel like we have to do something. When we switch from a state of harmony to fight or flight, we are flooded with energy that makes us feel like something has to happen. 
Now, if that flood of energy overwhelms us, then our system, the sympathetic system, turns off and hands it over to the dorsal vagal system. And this is commonly known as when we freeze. So there's fight and flight and there's freezing. This is when we're stuck with the inescapable. When we're cornered, we can't fight, we can't flee, so our only option is to freeze. The National Institutes of Health in the United States has written a really interesting paper called The Early Development of the Autonomic Nervous System Provides a Neural Platform for Social Behavior, a polyvagal perspective. And it examines how we are, how this changes throughout our lives. So when we're a newborn, we get our information about our state of being mostly from our ingestion, mostly from what we eat and drink. That's how we determine if we're okay in the world. So if this is when we, uh, as an infant, we'd be trying to understand, am I okay or am I hungry? Because it's all about survival. Now, since an infant is unable to fight or flee or get up and do anything for the little one's self, then infants have two response systems. One is they are amazingly cute, so adults want to take care of them. And two, they make some noise when they're hungry. So these are the tools that newborns have. But then over the next year, our brains develop the ability to compute more and to develop more awareness. And we begin to understand how we are in the world based on reciprocal behavior with others. And so instead of knowing if I'm okay because I'm not hungry, I know I'm okay because I feel safe with these adults who are feeding me and taking care of me. So now, instead of just wondering, do I have enough food? I'm wondering, is it safe to connect with these adults? And then as we become even older, humans search for appropriate replacements for their caregivers. This could be their friends and their partners. And they decide, depending on that relationship, if they're okay. They're observing facial, they're, they're observing facial expressions of tone of voice and posture and what is said. And we are all continually processing this information even when we don't realize it. We are watching for signals to see if the other person is welcoming us or warning us, if they're inviting us or discouraging us. And we pick these up, especially in the heart area, and it's communicated through our face, especially. So we follow the same system from our development uh, from, with fight or flight. Deb Dana, who is a clinician specializing in working with people with trauma, she says that the autonomic nervous system doesn't attach moral meaning to states and state changes, it simply acts in service of survival and typically without our conscious awareness. 
Now, we can bring our polyvagal system changes, our autonomic nervous system changes to our awareness. And then by doing this, we eventually can transform them into new patterns. So as I said, when we're infants, we're looking at the faces of other people to see if everything's okay, to see if we're being welcomed or if we're being discouraged. Imagine if you are an infant in someone's arms, you're about a foot away from their face and you're watching for cues. Our autonomic nervous system longs for connection with another system for survival and because it feels good. I mentioned this earlier, oxytocin, the cuta chemical, is produced by the pituitary gland. And it's, one of its purposes is to have us do things to increase social contact. It wants us to bond with other people because human beings and other beings who bond have a greater rate of survival. So as an infant, when we are face to face with whoever our caretakers are, we experience their loving facial expressions or the comforting sounds of their voices, or we experience the opposite. For example, if someone in our early life wasn't safe, today, even though we are an adult, our autonomic nervous system might perceive someone who reminds us of that threatening person might perceive someone different today as a threat. And it could be because they have similar facial expressions or tone of voice. And that might be enough for our autonomic nervous system to sense a threat. And we begin then to move from one state to another. So our autonomic nervous system, we, we're born with it, and then it's shaped by our early experiences it's reshaped by ongoing experiences. And Dr. Stephen Porges, who introduced poly polyvagal theory in 1994, he said, when we are able to shift our autonomic state, we start to have an understanding that the personal narrative, which is how we view things, how we think things are happening, is not a documentary of events, but is a documentary of feelings, which can distort, amplify, or buffer the impact of events. Now, through feeling safe and welcomed with someone else, by feeling those, um, by experiencing those welcoming or threatening uh, systems, we can create a two-way system between the brain and the heart through the vagus nerve. So all of this played into my experience so many years ago, which led me to join the Rosicrucian order. And again, what I wanted was what Emma had. How did she stay so centered in such a stressful situation? Well, now we're going to explore some of the Rosicrucian techniques that can help to nourish and transform our autonomic nervous system. Early in the monographs, we're encouraged to review our day. At the end of every day, 
to look back and review what went well, how we responded, is that how we want to respond? And it's helpful to do this later when we're calm rather than in the moment when we're feeling threatened. Eventually, we'll be able to be aware of our state of if we're feeling threatened or welcomed in the moment, but typically this is under the radar. We're not aware of it. By bringing perception to unconscious neuroception, it mobilizes higher brain structures and stimulates awareness. So if later in the day we can look back on experiences that may have been stressful, we can learn from those because we're not feeling stressed at that moment that we're reviewing them. Through mindfulness, we can train our attention to be self-regulating so that in the moment we can consider, is this really a threat or am I responding to something that's similar to a threat in my past? We're also encouraged to embrace our shadow side. And this is important because when our nervous system, when our autonomic nervous system is fighting or fleeing or freezing, there's no judgment about this. It's trying to save us. So if we can look at things that we may perceive as non-preferred, we can then shine a light on them to see why it was we chose to behave in a certain way. Deb Dana, who has done a lot of work with trauma victims and uh, a lot of work with polyvagal theory, wrote, the simple act of labeling responses impacts autonomic activity and supports vagal function. So I invite you now to think of a time when you felt especially safe, connected, and welcome. Who was there with you? What were you doing? Where were you? And what time of day was this? You may find that certain people, places, times of the day, etc., trigger polyvagal states, sometimes positive and sometimes negative. You can do this for any state. We just explored when we're feeling safe and connected. You can also observe when you're not feeling threatened, when do you go from feeling safe and connected to feeling like you need to fight or flee? into the sympathetic or the dorsal systems. We can have a better understanding of our perceptions and these state changes. While preparing for this symposium, I also happened to be watching a series through Princeton University called Buddhism and Modern Psychology. It's an online course presented by Robert Wright. And he ponders in this course 
Could enlightenment be a consciousness stripped of all misperceptions? Could enlightenment be a consciousness stripped of all misperceptions? I found that so interesting when considering how um, there are so many situations that I think I understand them, but as I perceive them more clearly, realize that I, in many cases, am just going back to the feelings that I had from previous experiences. Another Rosicrucian technique that we can use to help nourish and transform our autonomic nervous system is to focus on our breath. When we breathe normally and just feel the air going in and out of our nostrils, it communicates to the autonomic nervous system that everything is okay. So there's no need to accelerate the heart rate or respiration. This simple technique helps to calm the entire autonomic nervous system. We're also encouraged to pause and reflect. And this is what Emma did. So back to the story of what happened when, when um, Dorothy was so inappropriate with Emma, I was just livid. I was, I was definitely in fight mode. I need to do something about this. And Emma, who was the person who these statements were directed to, was extremely calm. First, she just paused. And then I noticed that she was seated kind of, she had her hands kind of over her midsection here, and she just was really going within. I just remember her posture. I didn't think, oh, she's pausing and going within, because in a way I was like, Emma, let's do something here. But when Emma did finally speak, she had gained enough self-composure to be able to respond very powerfully. And this leads to another exercise that's presented in the Rosicrucian teachings, which is to focus on our solar plexus. And this is above the navel, it's, kind of, it's between the heart and the navel. And here's what the monographs state. The solar plexus is not an endocrine gland and does not secrete hormones. However, it is a nerve complex that unites the cerebral spinal fibers of the spinal cord. This explains how our thinking and even our decisions can affect it. The solar plexus reacts to our emotions and transmits a nervous impulse that either inhibits or promotes the activity of the minor glands of the body and their hormonal secretions. This is part of the sympathetic nervous system. The two primary nerve divisions, the vagus nerve and the solar plexus, modulate communication between the gut and the brain. So we're gonna practice this exercise now just for a couple of minutes. And you can do this one of two ways. Either interlace your fingers and place them on the solar plexus, which again is just above the navel, or place your dominant hand on the solar plexus and then the non-dominant hand on that. So I'm right-handed. I would place my dominant hand on the solar plexus, or my, my right hand and my left hand on top of that. And then just for a couple of minutes, we're going to focus on our breath. And if you find that your mind goes somewhere else, no problem. 
just gently bring it back to feeling the air going in and out of your nostrils. So we'll do this just for a few moments. So just make a mental note of how you're feeling, of your respiration rate, of your heart rate. The Rosicrucian order through our International Research Council did research on this particular meditation a number of years ago and found that the effects begin within just two minutes, just two minutes of focusing on our breath going in and out of our nostrils begins to calm the autonomic nervous system. This is helpful when preparing for a sanctum period or going into a Rosicrucian temple or for a period that may have some conflict. So it helps to, to keep us centered. Another Rosicrucian technique that affects the vagus nerve is intoning vowel sounds. Again, the vagus nerve starts in the brain and goes uh, through the larynx, and it's affected by humming, singing, or chanting. So intoning vowel sounds is beneficial for calming the, the vagal nerve as well. And movement is also very helpful for harmonizing the polyvagal system. And especially connecting with others, being a part of our community. In Rosicrucian-affiliated bodies, during our weekly online teleconferences, and right now, can you feel my autonomic nervous system longing to reach yours? Longing to connect with you, longing to touch you. This is a way that through our community, we can help to nourish and transform our autonomic nervous system. Now, Emma and I never discussed this incident that happened at our church. I joined the order and Emma became my friend and my mentor. I, I was so fortunate. 
I came to know Emma later, and I don't believe she was perfectly calm during all of this, just knowing her as I got to know her. She paused and had enough self-composure to respond in a very centered and positive, powerful way. But I think this interaction was probably stressful for her. It certainly was and would have been for me if I were in her shoes. Recently, I watched a TED Talk. You might be familiar with these presentations at TED.com. And this talk was called How to Make Stress Your Friend, presented by um, Stanford University psychologist and professor Kelly McGonigal. McGonigal. And she discusses the biology of courage and points out that we are built for stress. Changing how you think about stress can create resilience. And this is trainable through mindfulness, like the practices that we just did together from the Rosicrucian monographs. When we experience stress, and there is heavy breathing and a pounding heart, these are preparing us for action. This is our body rising to address the issue. It's pumping blood, it's providing enough oxygen. And Professor McConaughey states, the three most helpful beliefs about stress are one, to view your body's stress response as helpful, not debilitating. For example, to view stress as energy you can use. And that is exactly what Emma did. She harnessed the energy of her stress and used it very powerfully in her response. But she had to have enough composure to do that. Two, to view yourself as able to handle and even learn and grow from the stress in your life. And three, to view stress as something that everyone deals with and not something that proves how uniquely messed up you or your life is. Psychologists have found that the ability to embrace stress requires a high tolerance for ambiguity and uncertainty. You have to be able to understand that two seemingly opposite things can be true at the same time. It can be true that we are going through something stressful and that can make you sick or depressed. And it can also be true that the same stressful experience can ultimately make you stronger, more compassionate, and more resilient over time. Now, Professor McGonigal states, stress is most likely to be harmful when the following conditions are present. One, it feels against your will. Well, this may sound rather familiar to all of us right now. Two, it's out of your control. And three, it's utterly devoid of meaning. If we can change any of these conditions by finding some meaning in it, we can reduce the harmful effects of stress. Now, Kelly McGonigal stated that one of the researchers' main conclusions from the study is that people with very meaningful lives worry more and have less stress than people with less meaningful lives. So if you have a meaningful life, it means you're going to have more stress. So the suggestion is to get involved. Rather than stress being a sign that something is wrong with your life, 
Feeling stress can be a barometer for how engaged you are in activities and relationships that are personally meaningful to you. Now, this TED Talk also explained that stress leaves an imprint on our brain that prepares us to handle similar stress the next time you encounter it. Psychologists call the process of learning and growing from a difficult experience stress inoculation. Stress inoculation. And the this is going through the, the experience gives your body and brain a stress vaccine. This reminds me of pilots or astronauts who are in simulators and experience worst case scenarios before they may actually be presented with them in an actual flight. Now, what if for those of us living in the United States, the stress that we are experiencing now is preparing us to handle the stress associated with uniting and moving our country forward after a very con contentious and divisive election? What if that is the purpose of our stress inoculation? That we are preparing ourselves to unite our country going forward. And what if for everyone, our current stress inoculation, which includes no less than a pandemic, climate change and extreme weather, racial and social injustice, just to name a few stressors, is preparing all of us to move our species into the next step of our evolution in creating homo luminous, beings of light. This is going to require courage. I joined the Rosicrucian Order because I wanted what Emma had the ability to stay centered in stressful situations and not to be overwhelmed by them. To be perfectly honest, I'm still working on this. There are times when my nervous system still switches from ventral vagal, completely safe and connected and welcome, to sympathetic fight or flight, and sometimes even to the dorsal vagal system where something seems inescapable and I freeze. However, I am much more aware of when I switch from one state to another. And I've learned the value of pausing like Emma did and of practicing meditation techniques that help me to stay centered so that I have enough composure to be able to harness the energy that a stressful situation provides. Thank you.